0: I want to welcome everybody to Off the Shelf this morning. I have been trying for about, I want to say 10 minutes, to get on into the show, which I just had some technical difficulties, told myself, stay calm. (laughs) We've been doing Off the Shelf now for 13 years, so one thing I've learned, 13 years of doing anything, you better stay calm and relaxed and flexible, because don't control everything and don't know how it's going to turn out, but I do know I can stay at peace no matter what. So that's what I told myself to do. I just had to be patient and keep trying and keep trying and finally got in. So that's a lesson. I know I, I start the, the show with a, a thought for the day, and so that's a beginning thought, and that's something I've learned. I just tell myself, just stay calm and relax. If other people get upset, they, that so be it, whatever the situation is, I have to stay in peace and just keep working until the thing works itself out. So I want to welcome each of you to Off the Shelf on this morning. we headed to the end of October, you guys, October the 21st Saturday, and it was go- a gorgeous day in Atlanta yesterday. Oh, my goodness, it was just beautiful, and the day is looking to be the same. This autumn weather is just something to truly treasure. And another thing I think you're really going to treasure is today's off The Shelf Show. We have a wonderful guest on deck, and I'm excited to introduce her to you in just a few minutes. But I want to start with this thought. Uh, uh, for anybody who watches Off The Shelf, and we have a lot of people who tune into our shows, shows, particularly through our archives, but I want to leave this thought with you. Make your life a masterpiece. Imagine no limitations on what you can be, have, or do, and you're going to have to be flexible to do that. But that quote is from Brian Tracy. Make your life a masterpiece. And again I want to welcome you and tell you that yes, absolutely, you are listening to the winning book radio show off the shelf. To our listeners, before we introduce you to our awesome guests, and our guests always leave me with so much insight that I didn't expect. It's just a blessing to me to to host this wonderful radio show. But before we launch into today's show, I want to ask you how good of a mystery sleuth are you? If you love mystery and you value relationships, particularly complicated relationships, and you like to watch how people actually help to influence and shape each other. So if we're supposed to be on a destined path, certain people show up when they do to make sure we stay on course, or to help us to go in a certain different direction we're supposed to go into. It could bring change into our life. And we don't like change, but how relationships can help actually keep us on course. Certain people go out of our lives when they're supposed to, and some people come in. And the impact that people have on us, particularly people who rub us the wrong way, they sometimes have the biggest impact but maybe they're doing just what they're supposed to do. Who knows? If you value those types of things, I think you would absolutely love Love Pour Over Me. And you can get Love Pour Over Me. It's set in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and in Africa. You can get Love Pour Over Me, and the parts of it also take place in uh, Tennessee, near the Knoxville, Tennessee area. You can get a copy of Love Pour Over Me in print or ebook. And I mean, if you do ebook, you're only gonna drop about three dollars for the book. But you can get a copy of Love for me. It's about three hundred pages. Uh, you can get it at Barnes and Noble, Walmart, ebook it, Amazon.com, of course, print or e-book format. And all you can, if you want to get it off the shelf and you don't see it in a bookstore, all you have to do is go up to the clerk and tell them. You want them to order you a copy of Love For Over Me by Denise Turney, and they can get a copy for you because it's carried by some of the largest book distributors in the world. I hope you go out and get yourself a copy of Love For Over Me. Who knows, it might help you deal with a difficult relationship that you're facing in your own life today. And now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest, and I want to thank her before I introduce her for her patience when I logged in, I said, "You know, there's several people on, and I'm thinking, I, it, I think our guest has been waiting. So I want to thank her for her patience uh, for logging in to to today's show early. Now, our special guest today this morning is Tina Brown. Tina is a Baltimore City native. I, you know what? I I've been around a lot of the country, but Baltimore City. She's going to tell us about that. I always think Baltimore." Is that what she's referring to, or is there a Baltimore city? We'll ask her about that. Tina is an independent author, and she is the author of the books, A Life Not My Own, Teethered, and Struggles of the Women Folk. Before I go on, when I give you her website URL, I really encourage you to go over to it. Her book covers are amazing. She has amazing book covers. Now, Tina has an engaging online presence, particularly on YouTube, her works focus on human experiences that impact people around the globe. Her writings also highlight the African-American and the female experience. Stories that Tina writes are inspiring, empowering, enlightening and timeless. She's very transparent in her writings. And you can check Tina out online at www.arthurtmbrown.com. She kept it simple, and that's authortm brown dot com, Arthur T M mary Brown dot com, and I think you'll love her work and her poetry. I read one of her poems, and it and it, it had a mention about spirits, promises, uh, like a frustrating refrain. Don't want to hear about no more promises. I want to see change. We are honored. We are honored to have her here with us this morning. And again, I encourage you to go by ArthurTMBrown.com and check out our website. And we want to we want to welcome, 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 Tina Brown here to Off the Shelf this morning. So welcome, Tina. Oh, thank you so much. Oh my goodness, what an amazing introduction! I was like, is that me? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's you. <laughs> Absolutely, that's you. That's you. Now, some of the first few questions that I'm going to ask you, Tina, I ask all off the shelf guests because um, one thing I found I used to do writings for Madame Noor, and to give people a little backstory on the guests before I launch into the questions. So, the, maybe the first five questions I ask every guest on the show, and then we'll launch into your books and more about you and your, uh, your writings. So okay. before we begin, can you tell off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? So I was born and raised in Baltimore City. My mom was a single parent, and she was really, really young. Um, not too long after having, birth, having birthed me, he had my uh, brother, we were only maybe 15 months apart. My mom grew up in the South, in Southern Virginia, uh, just old country girl, got herself pregnant, and, of course, got shipped off to Baltimore. Being that country girl, you know, she started running with the wrong crowd once she got to Baltimore City and developed a drug problem. And I give you that background because that really impacted my life because, you know, for the first few years of my life that I remember, like from maybe five to seven, I basically spent that time alone with my brother while my mother, you know, was trying to maintain her drug habit, you know. So there was a lot of loneliness a lot of um, physical uh, abuse in terms of, you know, as a child, I felt like she thought I was the reason for all of her issues. And so um, she wasn't that nice to me (laughs) growing up. Uh, Eventually, my grandmother and grandfather uh, rescued my brother and I and found my sister, who was just a little baby, um the one saving grace that i've had in my uh childhood was my ability to to just soak up knowledge and so the attention that i needed um i got from from being in school even in the 1960s you know with all the um civil unrest my teachers were my saving grace Wow, you know what, in in times like those, especially for people who have had a difficult childhood, I read a book years ago called A Child Called It, and I wondered how in the world could a parent, I mean, abuse is abuse to go that far. She made him live in the basement, under the steps, and and fed him like he was a dog. When When you think about that, like how? You almost want to give up, and then help comes from somewhere. For him, it came from a teacher, too. He told a teacher, um, it, 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 "It sometimes it takes a long time, and the pain can stay forever with you, but to know that, and to be that help in somebody's life, that's what I would love, you know, to be that light, that help in somebody's life, because you don't know what somebody's going through, but... I applaud you, Tina, for making it. You you made it. You're like one of those people who can say I started from the bottom and I made it. So kudos kudos uh, to you and the little girl in you that held on, that held on and did what it took so you could reach uh, womanhood. Kudos to you and that little girl in you. I wanted to ask you, even despite those challenges, that you went through, and it's amazing how we do blame other people. I have to catch myself not to do that because you give away right. your power when you your mother couldn't change her own life. If she's blaming somebody else, she's holding herself hostage in that situation. She's really hurting herself. And anybody who does that, but it's you can't believe that I got myself in this situation, so you can't accept right. it. So now I have to blame somebody because it's hard to – I got myself in this bad relationship. I got myself in this situation. No, I got to blame somebody else. Despite all of that, what did you dream of becoming? I'm sure you had dreams. What did you dream of becoming when you were a kid? You know, as most kids, the profession that I dreamed of changed like <laughs> changed like every every week, every month. But the one constant in it all was that I knew I wanted to do something to help people. And I've been able to do that, you know, in a number of different professions. I was in the Army for almost seven years. You know, um, I currently work as an engineer in my day job. Um, I, I pray and I hope that my books are helping people. So, you know, that's been the one constant throughout my life has been to help people. Wow. Really, really uh, impressive that you took that path. I hope somebody who has, the Lord knows who this sin, where, when, but who has gone through something and they've decided to just be angry and, uh, and attack, maybe they'll decide, you know what, there's a different path I could take, even though it started out so ugly. Um, that that's, that's, I mean, I really commend you and, and the kid in you. How old were you when you knew you wanted to help people? How old were you when you knew that you wanted to be a writer? Oh, my goodness. I've been writing for a very long time, and the silly thing about it is <laughs> I thought everyone had the ability to, like, tell a story and put it down on paper. And I've always had that ability to kind of look at the people that are passing me. It could be like somebody on the street that I'm waiting for the bus with when I was a kid or, you know, even now I'm in the airport and I see a couple and they hold hands and I can create a whole story around that in my head. It may have been something that came out of all of that time that I spent alone you know when I was a really young kid, but when I consciously started to write, I was an adult, I was thirty some odd years old um, I was starting to be challenged in my own my own family unit because I had all of this all of these memories that I hadn't really shared extensively with anyone. so I began to just journal, and it was like around the nineteen eighties in that time frame where a lot um, a lot of uh, more famous people than myself, like Oprah Winfrey and Iana Van Sant, were starting to come out with their books. And I was reading their books, and I thought to myself, you know, hmm, I have a story too. It's different from theirs in some regards, but I do have a story as well. And so I began to consciously translate my journal into the book, which is now um Entitled a life not my own. Ah, okay. So it's almost like something that was just meant meant to be. So you started writing just to almost. You know what just popped into my head the the CV in the color purple. So you started writing mainly. Was that what inspired you to work through tough situations you were going through uh, as a young person? If not, what actually inspired you to not only pursue writing, if it wasn't that, but that also uh, burst your love for books, for reading and writing books, not just poems or just writing down your thoughts, but to turn them into books? Well, that was always my, my safe haven. Education was a place where I knew I could excel. I recognized that in myself when I was really, really young. you know I'm four years old, and I'm in kindergarten, you know, and I was always the national honor society, the only black you know in my in my class um, you know and i just I just felt like education was that place where if I couldn't get any kind of recognition positive recognition at home, I knew that if I did well in school. I could have that recognition that I needed as a child. And so I I was that kid that you know, while everybody else is out playing, I'm begging my grandmother to let me walk a mile and a half to the local library so I can pick up books. I mean, books on anything. I loved Shakespeare, you know, anything that my teachers were trying to get us to consume. I kind of did on my own. I just, it was just something that I did. Okay. So, again, it came it came organically. Some of what you're sharing sounds similar to to my experience. I wanted to ask you, which is your favorite to create? Um, Tina, do you like, if you had to pick a favorite, and I know you might say you can't, but poetry, short stories, or novels, which is your favorite to create? Maybe it's easier for you to create it, or you just you feel more emotionally connected to it, that form of writing. Do you have a, a favorite form of writing? And if so, what is it about this form that, that you like so much? So I particularly like historical fiction, especially African-American historical fiction. And part of that is because, you know, when I wrote A Life Not My Own, I just poured my my heart out in my journal, and then I translated it into, you know, something that I thought readers would would follow and maybe be inspired from. And after that book came out, and it did so well, and the response was like off the chain, I didn't really expect that, I'm thinking about what's going to be my next book. And I was reminded of all those tidbits of information that my grandmother, when she raised me, had shared with me about how it was to live in Southern Virginia, like in the 1920s and 30s. My grandmother wasn't one to like sit down and talk to you for hours. I was just picking bits and pieces that she had shared with me over the years. And I absolutely loved pulling all those pieces together and creating a storyline around it. And then as I'm doing that, in my mind, you know, because I I told you before, I can just make up a story. In my mind, characters are like coming in and out of the story where they need to be, like what you said at the beginning of the broadcast about how people come into your life and they Mm -hmm. impact impact you even a, a positive or a negative kind of way. That's sort of the flow that I like in my stories. I want my stories to be relatable to African Americans, to women, and to just the humans in general. I think when you read my books, I hope that there's something in them that everybody can relate to and hopefully be inspired by. Okay, okay. You know what? I've got to tell you, Tina, in doing research for today's show, I can feel right away that you are very passionate and sincere about your works, and you're very transparent in your works. <laughs> I wanted to ask you as we go to talk about your book, and, again, I love your book covers. So before we talk about A Life Not My Own, who designed your book covers? Well, let me tell you. You know, you've probably heard that, you've heard people say what a bad rap social media gets, you know. But for me, social media has been uh, just a a huge blessing. The networking that I've been able to do through Facebook has allowed me to reach people all over the world, and one of those people that i met through my networking. Her name is Karen Perkins. She's an author in her own right. She writes horror um, novels. She's in the UK. She has her own publishing company. Um, She does editing and things like that. I um, I was introduced to her by Janice Ross, who's also an author. And Karen and I worked on um, doing the editing for uh, A Life Not My Own when I got my rights back um, so that I could become uh, a self-published author for for that particular book. She also has a department that does uh, graphic design and that sort of thing. So after reading my books and falling in love with them, uh, she had her a graphic artist. Her name is Cecilia Morgan, also in the UK, who um, cre- creates all of my um, all of my covers for my books. Wow! I got to tell you, she is really, really, really good. I, I when I the the emotion that you can feel from looking at your book covers, it's just a it's just. And it's not, there's not a lot of color. She is very, very good uh, in her work. And then and then compound that with your deep emotional writing. And there's, I don't think it would be impossible for somebody to read one of your books and not come away feeling like, wow, I think I've been changed some kind of way. How long did you sit down and write your first book, A Life Not Hold My up. Own? How long did, from when you started it to when you finished it? Was that a long process for you? so if we're talking about the actual writing of the book, it probably took about a year or so um, and, and a lot of that had to do with how uh emotional I became when i when I wrote certain aspects of the book because mind you, I wrote that book maybe fifteen years after um after the time frame where I'm involved with him. The chap You've seen the chapters called Him in the book. So I was already married, already had two kids. My um, immediate family, you know, not even my husband at the time, knew all the details that are captured in that book. But then, because it's so intimate and so, you know, so many details are in it, I kind of kept it to myself, believe it or not. When I first wrote that book, I had, a little, I had, a flop, I had it on a floppy disk. <laughs> and I, I transferred that book onto several different mediums until um, I got a divorce. And the windows and doors and walls, you know, just opened up for me to be able to share that book. So at that that time span, you're talking maybe 15, 17 years. Wow. Yeah, because I'm just one of those people that I wanted to be respectful to my family. And, uh, uh, you know, like I said, all of the details that are in that book, I felt that it would be inappropriate for me to, like, share details about my relationships with other guys while I'm, you know, while I'm married. (laughs) That just didn't feel right to me. Yeah. Did you change any of it before you published it? You wrote it 17 years ago by. Did you go back and change any of it before you actually published it? I did not. And there's a reason for that because I thought if I went back and I started editing it, I would have taken out a lot of it, you know, because it, it it is so it is so personal, and you know, there's intimate details. There's you know, um, love making, and um, and all of that is in that book. And even today, you know, I'm um, I'm reading a life not my own as a podcast through Spreaker.com. And even today, you know, when I'm reading it to put up, to post my my podcast, I get a little embarrassed. <laughs> ah, certain, yeah. and When I'm, you know, it's just it's just so so intense at times. What was the process? So you wrote the book uh, for the reader. Before, and I'm gonna ask you to give us an overview of it. But you wrote. Was the process like you just wrote? Like you, you were writing in a journal. Is that how you created it? I did. It was like I'm just writing in a journal. I'm starting from my my earliest memories. You know, my earliest memories is what's on the back cover of my book. You know, so I started. I started with that, and I just worked my way through. You know, to the time I'm about thirty. 30 years old or so. Okay. I, 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 this is kind <laughs> of like such a powerful, powerful, uh, just your writings alone, they're very powerful. Can you give us then a brief overview of A Life Not My Own? And for off-the-shelf listeners who might just be joining the show, can you let us know if the book is fiction or nonfiction? And then give us a brief overview of A Life Not My Own without giving away no, you know, so- too many Sure, absolutely. So the book is nonfiction. Um, it starts from a time I'm a really small child, and it opens with my first memories of my brother and I um, living by ourselves. Um, it, it'll take the readers through my experiences. Like I was born in 1960. So it'll take the readers through my experiences of living in Baltimore City, going to public schools, and having a mother who had a drug problem. Um, You know, like I said, we were eventually rescued by my grandmother. And then I have my own set of issues. Um, Some of them I didn't understand the reason why I was doing the things that I was doing. Um, uh, It'll take you through um, two of the major uh, relationships that I had in my life. Uh, I was in the military for a while so you get to experience what that was like for me. And um yeah. <laughs> it's it's a lot. <laughs> okay. okay. So and 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 again, I tell our listeners you're trans, very transparent. Who are before before we go deeper into your writings? Who are some of the writers? I know you said you loved to read when you were a kid Shakespeare and other writers, but who were some? And you like historical African American fiction, but who are some of the writers whose work you admired when you were growing up? So when you were younger, some of the who were some of the writers who influenced you or whose work you really admired when you were a kid, and maybe your you through your teenage and early twenties. Yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't read a lot of the genre that I write in. Like I said, I was big on Shakespeare. I I read everything that was Stephen King, you know, and I think it's B.C. Andrews and Flowers in the Attic and all that stuff. I I read all all of those kinds of of novels. Anything that I could get my hands on, really. A lot of times the, you know, I should have I always wanted to wear like reading glasses, like big, huge glasses, because I felt like such a bookworm when when I was a kid. A lot of times I was reading like um textbooks and things like that. <laughs> As a matter of fact, by the time I got to college and you know, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology, most of the um introductory textbooks that I needed to read, I had already I had already read them. Okay. So you, you had a Stephen King, wow, eh, okay, I, I don't know if I could read. <laughs> he's he's very detailed, I like that, but he, his books are so, some of them are so spooky. But he's written things like Shawshank Redemption as well. Got to ask you this, Tina, got to ask you this as I'm mm-hmm. doing Researching the Infinite and the book, A Life Not My Own. And I, I'm just amazed that you wrote this book. Seventeen years later, seventeen years later, you published it, and you didn't even change it from when you originally wrote it. So that's some courage. That said, I have to ask, why did you decide to share parts of your personal life with readers? I know you said you're doing your podcast now, and even when you read it, sometimes you're like, ooh, why did you? Why did you decide? I know you want to help people, but to open yourself up like that. You know, over the years, working in the corporate world, you know, we have these, um, what I call morning coffee breaks, you know, and everybody's like standing around talking about their lineage and, you know, their family and how their parents met and all of that. And I never had anything to, to contribute to the conversation. You know, I was just holding all that stuff in. And when I got, when I got divorced, I knew that my life was going to change in ways that I couldn't even imagine. And I always had this dream of sharing my book. And I knew that just from having conversations with people over the years, I knew that there were people out there hurting. I knew that there were people like me out there, you know, that were maybe being silent. And maybe they were being silent for the same reason that I was being silent because I didn't want people to look at me differently. Um, you know, I didn't want any special treatment within my workplace because of the background that I had. I didn't want that, you know. But I'd gotten to a point in my life where I was ready to accept life as it was at that moment, you know. And the only way that I in my mind that I could do that was was to share who I really was, not the person that maybe people think they know from the exterior when they look at me, you know, and so I just I just did it, <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know what good good for you, and you know I've heard people who said when they've done things like that that it's a very free. Susan Summers wrote a book years ago called Keeping Secrets, I think. And she grew up, her father was an alcoholic, and she said it was just devastating. But um, she said she wrote the book. She decided, I'm not keeping any more secrets. And she said the weight that came off, uh, she tried to live a life that was fabricated. This was right right, I think, after Three's Company when she was really, really hot but uh, she said it was just very freeing for her. I'm not hiding anything else. So, I, did you get that? And did that come for you too when you released a life not my own? Like, okay, I don't have to hide this anymore. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a freeing experience. Mind you that I don't want to give you know people the wrong impression. There's still. There's still a lot more to the story, <laughs> um not so much about my childhood, but things that have occurred in my life since I've been an adult. you know, and when uh a life's Not my own came out because I didn't change any of it, and I hadn't really had those discussions with my immediate family, my daughter and my and my son there were there were portions of my life that you will not see you would not see captured in that book. Um as a matter of fact, I um worked with five other authors on another book, it's an anthology, it's called Just Between Us, Inspiring Stories by Women, where I tell a little bit more of my story. And still there's more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes. Now, at your website, and this really had an impact on me, there's a poem about not wanting to receive any more promises. And there are times I really feel that way. You're talking like to the spirits, no more promises, no more by the end of the year uh, your finances are going to be done or you're going to have whatever. By such this year the relationship is going to be better. No more promises, just uh, uh, I'm. The point it had a point of you just didn't want, no more problems. Just do it. Just make the good thing happen. I wanted to ask you when I read that, and I'm going to pull up your website because I definitely wanted to share it with our listeners, but do you think that we deceive ourselves and tell ourselves things to keep moving, to just keep going and going in a certain direction? Even if we're no, even if we're we're never going to allow ourselves to have something. It's, and it's kind of like an insane internal game. It's like watching a person break up, make up, break up, make up, or break up a relationship and go into a new relationship with the a person who's just like the person <laughs> they just broke up with. So it's, yeah. so you tell yourself, keep, keep these promises. Oh, it's going to get better. It's going to get better. You go on a mad weekend diet exercise fit routine Monday, Tuesday, you eat like the world's going, to end, and you literally wipe mm-hmm. out everything you did. It's almost like it's a game that you're uh, playing with yourself. Is that what drove you to write that, or what was the what was behind the inspiration for you writing that point? So the poem is based on um, my next story, part three of Struggles of the Women Folk. And there's a character in the next book who has some serious challenges, one of them being something that, to be quite honest, I didn't know a lot about, like maybe 10 years ago, Um, cutting. There's a lot of people out there that actually... Cut themselves in order to just alleviate the stress that they're under. And so this particular character in my in my book, um, you know not to, I don't want to give away too much of the story, but she has she has some extreme challenges that she's dealing with, but she also has this um, spiritual connection. With her ancestors, and so they speak to her, and they make promises. And she's saying, like you just said, she's saying, I don't want any more promises. I can't, I I can't make it on those promises. Somebody needs to make something happen because I need this. <laughs> so that's where I was coming from with the poem. And mm-hmm. and I wanted to read the poem for our listeners. It is, and I'm at your website now. Loneliness pierces my soul, the longing to be loved, never growing old. There's got to be a better way to lessen the pain. So I let the blood out, but the scars remain. A permanent reflection of the yearnings I face. No one here to rescue me from this awful space. To the spirits who speak to me in the night. I need more than promising words to make my life right. That that when that that and then when you give the the thing about the cutting that makes it, it the the to let so I let the blood out part but the scars remain yeah. make make yeah. better uh, sense. So that came through your I guess your 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 work on uh, the the book on the women folk. That you that you wrote So there's Struggles of the Women's Book That's part one Tethered Angels Is part two And I'm working on The third um, installment And that poem Will be In the third installment And And I just want to thank you I just want to thank you For reading that Because As an author You don't know Well maybe you do Because of what you do You know it, it is so, so amazing to hear someone read my words. It's it's just, you don't know what that does. <laughs> Thank you okay. for that. Oh, you're very welcome. So I, I, there's so many questions that I want to ask you, and I don't think I'm going to get to them all. And, and I definitely want to ask ones that will benefit our li- listeners. Uh, but can you tell us about your book, Struggles, of the women folk, and I, I want, I've highlighted some questions I hope to get back to before the end of the show. But mm-hmm. can you tell us about your book, Struggles of the Women Folk? So, Struggles of the Women Folk is a historical fiction uh, piece, loosely based on those stories that my grandmother shared with me. That I was explaining, I was explaining to you before, so I created a storyline around what my grandmother had shared with me. And it's about a young girl named Georgie, young black girl growing up in the 90s. she was born in the 1920s, growing up in the 30s, um, has her own set of challenges in terms of just trying to make a better life for herself in a time of, of uh, discrimination and prejudice. She grows up in uh, southern Virginia. And you go on this journey with her as she traverses life. Um, The underpinnings of the story is this amazing spiritual relationship that she has with the Lord, and I hope that, you know, if it does nothing else, I hope that it provides readers with a hands-on, realistic uh, and a uh, description of what it's like to traverse through life and have challenges and lean on, on the Lord for for support. Mm. And you would definitely be uh, have the experiences to tell somebody, look, I, it wasn't easy for me, so if I tell you it's worked for me, it just might work for you as well. Now, did you launch Struggles of the Women Folks? as an audio book or did you launch it as a print book? It's a print. It's print and Kindle. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. Um, and, and I'm is, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry I I misspoke. Um, it I do have a audiobook version of struggles of the women folks. And and those okay. can be purchased directly through mix. Okay. Who is Angel? to uh, uh, so Georgie's daughter, and then could you? And then I wanted to, to introduce our listeners to a couple other people. So Angel, Georgie, is that Angel? Is that Georgie's daughter? Yeah, Angel. Angel. Um, t- the next, the second book in the series is called Tethered Angel. Angel is Georgie's daughter. She was born with a veil over her eyes, so she has the ability to hear people's thoughts and look into the future. Now, she has her own set of issues. She's an African-American woman as well, you know, and she's growing up in the 40s and the 50s where, you know, there's a lot of civil stuff going on here in the United States. And you have the opportunity to um, follow her story here in the United States and abroad, and there's a reason why, why she's in Europe. But I invite the readers to go get the book to find out why she's in Europe. Okay, can you introduce our listeners to Emily Barker and Ricky? So Emily Barker and her crazy self. She's in <laughs> both. <laughs> she's in both uh, struggles of the women folk and tethered angels. She's a very affluent white woman, who Georgie works with, works for as a maid. Ricky is a young black man who has a relationship with Emily Barker. Both of those characters, Mm. both Emily Barker and Ricky, are in Struggles of the Women's Folk and Tethered Angels. Ah, so does does Ricky work for Emily? Ricky, yes, he works for her. Um, yeah, I'll, I won't say any more than that. That would be giving too much away. <laughs> okay, and and it's and it's Okay, so is the story takes place what in the 1940s? You said it starts um, struggles of the women, folks starts like in mid 1920s and will take you up to about the 1940s, and then Tattered Angel, since that's Georgie's daughter, you know. That is a continuation of the story that will take you into the 50s, 1950s. Does the book, folk? do these stories focus on, okay, they focus on like a family, uh, would you say a family saga or an individual, or did you write them more? When you say Struggles of the Women Folk, is it more for Struggles of Women uh, uh, as a whole within, like, say, the United States? during that time period or struggles for African-American women living in a certain part of the country. So Struggles of the Women Folk is focused on this one group, group of people. It's not really just, you know, one family. There's Georgie. There's her, her aunt, Aunt Adele. There's her mom. But then there's also Miss Emily Barker, a white woman, you know, and then there's Ricky and Donnie, and a lot of other people. Like you said at the beginning of the podcast, folks come in and out of your life, and with positive and negative kind of stuff, and that's what's going on in struggles of the women folk and tethered angels. Okay, okay. Um, how? And and as a writer, I remember when I first started on my first novel, and i was talked to other writers about this. Some writers. They say they hear their characters talking to them, but one thing I try to do, and it's funny going back to life—not uh, not my own—how uh, you just were so transparent and revealing a part of your life. Certainly not all. You're still you're still developing and creating new experiences for yourself. But I said I don't ever want to insert myself in my novels. I don't want. Me in there at all I find that now After having written several novels I see little pieces of myself In characters And I'm like is it even possible For any writer to totally Keep themselves out I remember listening to an interview J.K. Rowling did About those dark characters In Harry Potter She said she went through a deep depression And she had to get uh, professional help And part of it, she felt that during dealing with that depression, like these dark characters or things were pulling at her. And she said that's where the genesis for that came from. So it's, you listen to writers talking, you're like, oh, that's why he does that, or he writes that way, or she writes that way. How have you found a way to keep your own life's experiences out of your writing, novel writing? And if not, how would you say your real life experience influenced your writing, and vice versa? So, so for me, I have to admit that every character in my book—that's that's a portion of my personality, or a per, or or at least a portion of the things that I think, not necessarily do. But those are things that I think. And th- my books are very dialogue heavy, you know? And so some of the things that the people are saying in my books or some of the things that they're doing, that, that is a reflection of, of me. There have been experiences that I've, that I've had. Um, when you read a um, romantic scene, in my book, it's either something that I have experienced myself, or something that I that I hope for. You know, for example, if it's um, if it's two characters who really, really love each other and really, really connect. You know, you know, I think that's something that that many of us many of us desire to have. And so, yeah, I would say that some aspect of my personality or the things that I think and maybe not do are captured in my character. Okay, okay. Um, I, I definitely want to, so I wanted to, we've got less than 10 minutes, but I wanted to go oh my back goodness, to this. Time <laughs> I know. I wanted to go back to this because. I think about somebody who might listen to the show. There have been times in my life when I was struggling with something and I actually searched for something on the Internet and come across something I never heard, maybe an interview or writing, and it helped me tremendously. So I want to go back to this. Your book's uh, Tethered Struggles of the Women, and you're working on the third part of the book, uh, Struggles of the Women, you're working on the third part of the book now. But I want to go back to The Life Not My Own, or um, and I want to get the title right for our listeners A Life's Not My Own who may want to read it, even though it's your story, kind of like Color Purple was fictional, but how many people that story helped who are keeping secrets, but then they read and they see that they're not alone and they don't need to feel badly or, or, or like they need to hide. So I wanted to ask you really quickly um, two questions. In the book, did you ever call Betty mother? And and this popped into my head. When you hear the Jacksons or Michael Jackson, all of them, they never called their father dead. They always called him Joseph. But did you ever call Betty mother throughout your, your, your life? And I'm doing this for some reason for somebody who might be having a similar struggle. No, I never did. I never did call Betty mom. So, you know, when you ask that question, I, I guess I would have to answer and say I never really, I really never really had a mom. Not one that I called mother or mom. No, we we wow. never did. Could never connect it like that. And that happens no. more than I think people realize. Some sons with their fathers are like, "Then he's not my dad." Uh, based on your personal experiences. How would you say, and then if you can offer some tips as well, how does a strained relationship with a mother affect an adult daughter? And what tips could you offer to a woman who's struggling with that right now? I mean, it it can manifest itself in so many different ways. To me, um, there was a time in my life, I'm not going to lie, there was a time in my life I was quite promiscuous that that's no that that's just the way that it was and it wasn't like, you know, I I said to myself, "Okay, I'm just going to sleep with people and I don't care or anything like that." I guess subconsciously I was looking for love. I was looking for that kind of connection that hadn't really been taught what that connection would look like. And so it, it put like this weird spin on on my rationale for, you know, why I was doing the things that I was doing. You know, um, some of the experiences that I had living with my mom, uh, as far as, like, being hungry and not having a lot of clothes to wear and stuff like that, as I got older, there were times when I overcompensated. There was a time when if I could see the back of my refrigerator, it would just set me crazy you know because it reminded me of when i when we had nothing to eat you know i i there was a time and, and and still even today i have to reel myself back in a little bit whenever i'm going to any kind of event i want to have something new <laughs> and and part of that comes from just having those two two dresses, cool, just two dresses and one pair of underwear wow so Wow. So, so so, there are things that, you know, we as women, maybe we don't take enough time to really get to know ourselves. You know, we go from living in the house with our parents to, like, living with a significant other. And we've never had a chance to really, you know, find out who we are and what we can be. The benefit that I had, and it was such a blessing, my grandmother had her own set of struggles when she was a young woman, and she raised both my sister and I to be extremely independent, you know. So when, when situations come our way, we are able to at least deal with it because we're not dependent on, on anyone. And that has, that has really, you know, helped me uh, along the way. Being, being independent and realizing your own power now back to your your poetry, your writing is so poignant. Have you done any spoken word poetry, or do you plan to so so to be honest, that's one of the few poems that i've that I've written,
1: really that, you know,
0: yeah, yeah, that's one of the few that I've written, and I wrote that like in fifteen minutes or so. It, it just it just kinda of poured out of me. And I guess I'm no different than most authors, you know, our characters they speak to us in 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 weird kind of ways. And I think it is also somehow tied to our experiences and that sort of thing. So as I'm writing about this particular character and the things that she's going through, I just start I just start writing this poem out, and that's that's what I got. Wow. We learn so much uh, about ourselves, uh, and I'm not going to get to all the questions, but we we learn so much about ourselves while creating. Tina, what have you learned about Tina since you started writing books? Oh, my goodness. The things that I've I've learned about myself really have nothing to do with the books. Believe it or not, I am um, quite... Introverted, you know. I um, always, I always felt like I had, I had something to share with the world. I had a story, but really stepping outside of my comfort zone and stepping on a stage and, you know, um, describing my books and sharing my books with people at book fairs and things like that—that that is so out of my comfort zone. But I've learned that I can do it. I've learned that when you're passionate about something. I mean, if you're really passionate about something, you're not going to allow anything to stand in your way. And that's that's how I feel about my book. Every time I feel like, okay, my sales are dropping a little bit, I get a text from someone or somebody posted something on Facebook about how much they love my book, and I say to myself, okay, I've helped that one person. I've impacted that one person. This is going to be one one reader at a time, and I'm okay with that as long as the positive impact. And and, and you you your you, your your focus is very very positive. That said, as well, where can off the shelf listeners get a copy of your books? And I want to give out the titles of Tina's books again. Tina Brown, author Tina Brown, A Life Not My Own. Teethered and struggles of the women folk. Where can people get copies of your books, Tina? So my books are on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can get my books directly through my website. It'll just launch you. You'll 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 hit the link and it'll take you to Amazon. Or if you would like an autographed copy, just reach out to me. My um, email address is tm dot brown three five at Yahoo.com. And can you tell us what social media networks you're on? It's kinda of hard not to find me. <laughs> I'm on I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on uh Twitter, uh just almost all of the, the major uh social media sites. Okay, okay. So please go out and get a copy of one of Tina Brown's author Tina Brown's books. Uh, She, uh, again, at that point, maybe that's something for her to chew on to to maybe pursue. But her books are A Life Not My Own, Teethered and Struggles of the woman Folk, Arthur Tina Brown, her website. And I do encourage you to visit her website, ArthurTMBrown.com. Again, that's ArthurTMBrown.com. We are just so honored to have had Tina Brown here with us here on Off the Shelf this morning. Another talented author that we are we're just so grateful to be able to introduce you our off the shelf listeners to and we encourage you to support tina brown and please come back next saturday tell book lovers everywhere tune in to off the shelf 11 a.m eastern standard time or new york city time Saturday mornings, we'll bring you another phenomenal guest next Saturday. We have been doing this for 13 years, and we thank all of our listeners who have been with us for these 13 years. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Arthur, Tina Brown and all of our off-the-shelf listeners. And be encouraged through Tina Brown's story, especially if you pick up the copy of her book, which is nonfiction based on a real-life story, A Life Not My Own. I want to leave you with this, as we always do. Remember, you are amazing. You're awesome. You are incredible. You are not what happens to you. You're not what other people say about you. You're what God created you to be, and you are awesome. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Tina, I will send you an email when the show finishes streaming. Bye for now. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye.